The gospel of tolerance. It's about the only gospel that's being tolerated today. In fact, it is preached in schools, in corporations, in governments, and yes, even in some churches. But in most cases, it is a distortion of the real meaning of that word tolerance. It is, at best, riddled with hypocrisy and with falsehoods. For when you force an unregenerated heart to be tolerant, he's going to tolerate you without gritting his teeth. Because the Christian gospel and the gospel of Jesus Christ goes far beyond so-called tolerance. I'm going to explain that in a minute. But I find what's more disturbing to me that many Christians have either been intimidated by that false gospel, or they altogether been silenced by that false gospel, instead of taking part in exposing its falsehood. Tolerance, of course, in its proper definition, is the respect of others who may have a different belief system. But the Christian gospel goes far deeper than that. It goes far deeper than just tolerance. The Christian gospel goes deeper beyond that classical definition. The Christian gospel says that a Christian loves everyone and even serves those who differ from him. Don't tolerate people. We love them. And that is why this new gospel of Satan, which is what I call it, it's my own words, must be confronted by believers lovingly, thoughtfully, gingerly, but must be confronted. I want to give you some example of the deceptiveness of this gospel of tolerance. For example, today you can have all sorts of clubs in public schools except Bible clubs. Political leaders, when they go and speak in chapels of traditionally Christian universities and schools, they insist on covering the crosses in these chapels. And yet, by the same token, when they go to Islamic mosques, they take their shoes off and they treat that place with reverence. Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. That's what tolerance is. It's full of hypocrisy. In 1995, a Massachusetts judge ruled that you can distribute condoms in schools, but not Bibles. Here's what he said. Let me read it to you. He said, parents have no right to tailor public school programs to meet their individual moral or religious preferences. And it's been going downhill ever since. In the media today, you can express or expound the virtue of any religion or any group except the Christian faith. But sadly, the response of so many Christians is either to crawl into a hole or buy into that false gospel. The true Christians are called upon to pursue the truth wherever that truth may lead them. And the truth is this. We are called to love all people, but never condone the wrong things. We are called to love all people, uh, but not their destructive lifestyles. We are called to love all people, but not at the expense of abandoning what is right and embracing what is wrong. We are called upon to love all people, but not to compromise our convictions in order to be accepted by society. And today I'm going to show you an example of how the Christian faith 
by a special revelation from God is uh, truly the gospel of love for others, regardless what their background is, regardless of where they come, regardless of the differences uh, between us. In fact, we are called by God to move out. And this example here that with which I'll conclude this series in Acts chapter 10, and I hope you turned with me already in your Bibles, is the greatest example of moving out of one's prejudices, of moving out of the real stereotyping of people, of moving out of our comfort level. In fact, had Peter not moved out of his situation, the Christian religion would be today a small Jewish sect. We saw how the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, in the last message, bridged the gap between Jews and Samaritans who were half Jews, half Gentiles. Later on in the book of Acts, chapter 8, there you find Philip and Peter and John go into Samaria for all the people who followed Jesus, and they declared His death and resurrection and the coming of the Holy Spirit, and the Samaritan got filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 8. And uh, here, the biggest gulf was really between Jews and Gentiles. And here, only Jesus and His gospel could bridge that gulf that separated those two people. If Jews detested the Samaritans, let me tell you, they passionately hated the Gentiles. They really did. And this is why I'm telling you this is the moving out of all moving outs. This moving out of Peter was so drastic of a challenge to Jewish believers that God chose the chief apostle himself to be the one to do it, because otherwise it would never have gone anywhere. And God was so gracious. He was so gracious in preparing Peter's heart for this task, for this radical moving out of his comfort zone. Listen, Peter came a long way in accepting Samaritans as brothers in Christ. And here, he's really going to go the full way by accepting Gentiles to be his brothers in Christ. Let me just tell you a few things about how drastic a move that was. I I know in our kind of modern culture today, we can't even comprehend how incredible this is on the part of Peter. See, Jews did not only hate Gentiles, they actually had nothing to do with them. In fact, they would never be guests in a Gentile's home. And they would never dream of inviting a Gentile into their house. (laughs) Even the dust that is in the land of Gentile country was considered to be defiling. And that's why they had to really get rid of the dust before entering back into Jewish territory. And that's where the saying, you know, shake the dust off your feet came from. Jews would never eat food that was prepared by Gentiles. In fact, cooking utensils, when they were purchased from Gentile countries, had to be purified before they used in Jewish homes. The bottom line, Gentiles were considered unclean, and their presence considered to be defiling to a Jew. You talk about moving out of your comfort zone, (laughs) moving out of your stereotype. Cornelius was an Italian captain of the Roman army. He was a God-fearer, and he was a generous man. But God prepared him, too, by sending him an angel. Just as Peter, who walked with the Lord for three years, had to be prepared, so was Cornelius. 
just think with me about the timing of all of this, just the timing. It tells you so much about God and the character of God and the way God works, like very few places. And the reason I'm telling you to focus on the timing of God is because if you are anything like me, you must have got frustrated with God's timing at some point. Hello? Can I get a witness? I mean, listen, I know from my own life. Many times I got exasperated with God's timing. I really have. And I know if you're anything like me, many times you just wish that God's timing was on your timing, and if God gets on my program, man, we'll be in business. But He doesn't. He really doesn't. He is never one second late, and He's never one second early. He's always on time. I know this is hard to accept and hard to take to heart. You see it here. The moment Peter woke up from his trance, Cornelius' soldiers were knocking on the door. (laughs) Man, if they arrived early, Peter would have said, no way, Jose. Had they arrived late, Peter would have had time to think about it, and he'd say, oh, well, I wonder whether that was just not a nightmare. (laughs) It wasn't a vision from God. That's a nightmare. Not only that, but by the time Peter arrives in Cornelius' house, all of the hearts were prepared. They were prepared to hear the gospel. They were prepared to obey the gospel. Everything worked according to plan, God's plan. (laughs) The faster we understand this thing about God's timing, (laughs) the faster we save ourselves a whole lot of heartburn. We would save ourselves a whole lot of false anxiety. We would save ourselves a great deal of unnecessary fears and apprehensions. We would save ourselves a whole lot of panic and pain. I know this is true in my own life. I know that whenever I tried to beat down a closed door, and I've tried a few of those, <laughs> whenever I tried to force an issue before its time, Whenever I try to jump into spiritual warfare without preparation, I get clobbered every time. Every time. It never misses. But when I trusted in God's timing, when I trusted in God's preparation, when I trusted in God's sovereign plan, I always got the victory. Can I get a witness on that? Look at Acts 10 if you haven't already. There are three things I want to tell you very quickly. You see three things. First, you see in the first ten verses, God is preparing Cornelius' heart. And then in the next ten verses, 9 to 20, God is preparing Peter's heart. And then the last 20 verses, God is preparing the hearts of the entire household. First, the preparation of Cornelius. You know, I often tell people that the best of us may be able to work on one or two, three fronts uh, at the same time. Now, very few of us, now I know probably some of you are so brilliant, you can work on four or five different. You know, it's called multitasking. But listen, God is working on thousands of fronts all at the same time. He really is. But He's the only one who can. He is working on what is impact for your life. He loves you enough to do that. 
He's working on what is impactful of your future, which you can't see. He is working on what is impactful to your loved ones. He is working on what is impactful for His kingdom at large. He is working on all those fronts all at the same time for His glory and for your good. Cornelius was a God-fearer, but he was not a full convert to Judaism. He has not been through the rite of circumcision. And in the language of today, we say he was a genuine inquirer about the truth. He was a genuine seeker of the truth. But he was not a convert yet. And the Bible is very clear that when you seek after God, you'll find Him. If you genuinely seek the truth, you're going to run smack into Jesus. And that is why Jesus said, Seek, and you shall find Cornelius had a hundred soldiers under him, under his command. And history tells us that Roman soldiers hated Jews, and Jews returned the favor. But not Cornelius. This man sought to humble himself before the God of heaven, Jehovah, Yahweh, God. He did not, was not polytheistic and worshiping many gods like most Romans. He worshiped the one true God. And God responded to his humility. He sought to financially support the work of God, and God always has a soft spot for generous people. He sought to live up to the little amount of light that he had, and that was not wasted on God. He sought to live up to the limited knowledge of God that he had, and God remembered his generosity. See, God responded to his inquiring heart by sending an angel. Look at verse 4. Now, as you look at, at this incident when he confronted with an angel, I want to tell you, the portrayal of angels that comes out of Hollywood, whether it be in the movies or television, is utterly and completely and without a shadow of doubt false. Did you get that? It's false portrayal of angels. They really have, they don't have a clue what an angel is. <laughs> I want to show you here in verse 4 what a false portrayal it is. Angels must be very fearsome creatures. So much so that this veteran, battle-hardened soldier like Cornelius, he was terrified when he saw an angel. <laughs> Every time an angel appeared in the Bible, he says, fear not. Why? Because when you see that creature, you, you must be terrified. See, angels are not fat babies with wings. <laughs> They're really not. It's a figment of the imagination of an Italian artist. <laughs> Years ago, a friend of mine in Australia used to call his wife Angel, knowing as I do the scriptural understanding of angels. I said, why do you call your wife angel? I thought she was terrifying him or something. He said, no, 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 no. He said, she's always up in the clouds hopping on something. (laughs) Wrong perception (laughs) of angels. But there's something here I don't want you to miss. The angel whom God sent to Cornelius, he could have preached the gospel message to Cornelius right on the spot, could he not? He could have told him all about the gospel, and he could have, man, he's already in a state of terror. He would say, yeah, 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 whatever you say. 
But God always used human instruments. God always uses you. And God will soften the hearts of those to whom He sends you. And God will always prepare the heart of those whom He sent to you. But He always wants you to open your mouth. God wanted Peter to see firsthand how a full-blown Gentile can be converted to Christ and filled with the Holy Spirit. Why is that important? It's very important. Listen to me. When the Holy Spirit came to dwell on the earth for the first time ever, because in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come on Samson or somebody, do the work of God, then goes back to heaven. But the Holy Spirit of God came on the day of Pentecost to dwell in believers. Well, in the upper room, they were all Jews. They were all Jewish believers when the Holy Spirit came. And so the Holy Spirit came a second time in the book of Acts chapter 8, when the half-Jews, half-Gentiles, became believers, and it fell upon the Samaritans. And here, as if it were, God is closing the circle. And for the first time, the Holy Spirit came and dwelt upon the Gentiles, Cornelius and his household. Finally, God says, okay, with this, the gospel is for everyone of every ethnic group, of every tongue, of every nation, of everyone in the world. And listen, that's what the mission of leading the way is all about. We take the gospel to every dark corner in the globe, whether it be radio, television, internet, whichever way we can get in there, we get in there. <laughs> so that everyone, as Jesus said toward the end, the gospel will be preached to the ends of the earth. That's what Jesus asked us to do. So he prepared Cornelius' heart. Secondly, he prepared Peter's heart by a dream. Had the Lord prepared Cornelius but not Peter, it would have been a different story right now. Had Cornelius' soldiers arrived without Peter being prepared, he would have resisted those soldiers' invitation. But the Lord showed Peter by a special revelation during his trance while he was napping before the meal. <laughs> he showed him a vision of a sheet that has a lot of food that's not kosher food. And he basically wanted him to go from food to people. There's a double meaning here. Because the Jews considered those types of food to be unclean, just as they considered the Gentiles to be unclean. As if he's telling to Peter in his dream, Peter, I am setting the Gentiles aside to be for my glory, and they're going to be equal partners in my kingdom. Peter, as a faithful Jew who only ate kosher food, was disturbed. And that's why God had to repeat it three times. <laughs> but he wanted Peter to leap from food to people. Peter had never entered into a house of a Gentile, let alone spend the night. You just get that. Cornelius is a proud Roman captain soldier, would never in his wildest imagination kneel before a lowly Jew. But here's the unmistakable truth. When God is at work, prejudice melt away. When God is at work, all hatred dissolve. It will dissolve. All animosity will be no more. When God is at work, you will do the undoable. When God is at work, you will go wherever you thought you could ever go before. Listen, forcing 
an unregenerated heart to be tolerant is no more possible in reality, they might fake it on the outside, than for a pig to fly. Verse 34, Peter makes an incredible statement. I say it's an incredible statement. He says, I truly perceive that God shows no partiality, or God shows no favoritism. And I tell you, this is not only a history-making statement, this is not only a world-changing statement, it is not only a global-impacting information, but, beloved friend, think with me for a moment here, because this should be a challenge and encouragement to every one of us who at times looked up to heaven and said, God doesn't love me. He does not love me like He loves so-and-so. God doesn't care about me as much as He cares about so-and-so. No, beloved friends, God loves you equally. He shows no favoritism. God does not prefer somebody else. No. God is looking for willing obedience. That's all He's looking for, willing obedience. God has a soft spot, the Bible said, for generous people. When the Bible said God loves a cheerful giver, literally means that God has a soft spot for generous people. Why? Because God wants His children to be channels, not puddles. That's all He's looking for. He shows no partiality on the basis of anything except for those who are obedient, that He wants to bless them more. doesn't mean that He loves them more, but it means He wants to bless them more. He has a soft spot for generous people because He wants to use them as channels, as conduits, because He promised to honor those who honor Him. He prepared the hearer. He prepared the witnesser. Lastly, He prepared everyone to receive the Holy Spirit. In fact, it was the Holy Spirit who really prepared all hearts. Prepare them for what? Prepare them for the fact that He, the Holy Spirit, indwells both Jews and Gentiles equally whenever they come to Jesus Christ. Read carefully Peter's testimony. It's very clear. It's very clear. And it's a very simple testimony, really. It's not much, very complicated. I have a hunch that from what Peter said, that Cornelius probably was one of those soldiers who were involved somewhere during the crucifixion of Jesus. Because he said to him, he said, you know. <laughs> and imagine somebody pointing, he said, you know. You know what took place throughout Judea. You know. Cornelius, you know. They put him to death on the cross. You know that the tomb is empty. And those of us who have seen the risen Christ and ate with Him and walked with Him and fellowshiped with Him, we are eyewitnessing account of the resurrected Jesus. Here again, the, the witness, like I said in the last message, two things, tell the truth, tell what you experienced. And wow, before Peter can finish his three-point sermon, the Holy Spirit came and fell upon the Gentiles, and they became indwelled of the Holy Spirit just as the Jews did and just as the Samaritans did. And if you look here at the last part of chapter 10, there you see Cornelius and his household were all baptized. 
And what a, a marvelous day when we see, and I believe I'm going to see it in my lifetime, whole families coming into baptism together as they turn their heart to Christ. Father, there is nothing impossible for you. What is impossible with man is not impossible with you. And we thank you that we worship the God who moves the mountains. And we thank you that we worship the God who does not give us a vision to mock us, but he gives us a vision to fulfill it. Father, I just pray that our hearts be obedient, that our hearts would turn to you in a total trust that we will see the harvest of soul come to you and that we will be able to rejoice like Peter rejoiced. We pray this in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.